The following episode of TOEFOP is rated M.A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought, and mild course language. TOEFOP advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian, or priest. This is John Deke speaking. This is Tofop. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. Hello, Charlie. Hey, uh, first questions first. Yeah. Any Dolph updates? Have you seen Dolph since? No. Since we last no. talked? No, no. He's uh, uh, he, he's the white whale of West Hollywood. <laughs> or the unicorn of West Hollywood. I saw him, but uh, I've gone to that gym since. Just unlike, you know, in a workout, just anxiously looking at the door. But um, no, I haven't, I haven't seen him since. Do you reckon that, you know, the thing is too, if they were going to make a movie that starred a unicorn, he could definitely get cast as the unicorn. Yeah. Or a centaur. He'd be a bit of centaur. Oh yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. No, he'd be a really good centaur. <laughs> We've got to get some centaur project up for Dolph. That's how we get him involved. Yeah. hundred um, percent. Now this is a, um, this is funny because uh, we had to record this one. Well, it's late for me. So it's uh, 11 a.m. in the, uh, 11 p.m. in the state. So I kind of feel like, you know, when you're at uni and you'd, and you'd cram for an exam or something, you'd stay up late listening to the radio and you'd listen to those late night sort of call-in shows. Like, I sort of feel like that's what's going on here. Right. Just like a bit this, weary. This I've is like midnight caller. Like, yeah. I'm going to ask you to just send a dedication to my ex-girlfriend. I'd just like to send a shout out to Rebecca if you're out there. Charlie's been thinking of you and telling a lot of stories about you on the podcast. And tonight... <laughs> He'd just like to send this one out to you. It's called Cease and Desist. <laughs> what was the name of the girl you got the uh, you made the badge for? Uh, Leah Butterick. Yeah, Leah Butterick. Leah Butterick. Leah Butterick. This is a dedication from Will Anderson. He's got a garage full of buttons with your face on them. <laughs> Can you imagine how creepy it'd be if I still had the buttons? Oh, man, I think I actually was thinking of contacting you today to say, could we get those printed up for Tofop Live? I thought that's some great merch there. You mean, could we get people to buy our merchandise, which would be badges of a non-consenting 15-year-old girl? Yeah, no, that's a great <laughs> idea, Charlie. Tofop, we'll see you in court. <laughs> yes, the, uh, speaking of our, our big live show at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, uh, we will have some posters and stuff that we will sign. Uh, it's going to be a huge night. It's uh, well over half sold out already. And uh, we've confirmed some guests already. Nick Cody, Celia Pacola, uh, Daniel Sloss, all previous guests, Charlie's, who will be on the show. Um, uh, looks like Justin Hamilton will probably pop in. It's going to be a really huge show. It's going to be awesome. Well, you know who's gone radio silent on me all of a sudden? Oh, don't tell me. Dixie, mate. He's gone underground. Hang on. What's going on? Is it, is I don't on? know. I mean, I because I, I, I sent him an email because yeah. he normally writes back straight away. I sent straight him an away. email just with the with the new intro and stuff, and just said, "Hey, if you've got any ideas, you know, you got you got open slather." And then didn't hear anything back, which is unusual for him. So then I sent him a message on Facebook, sent nothing back. And then I had this fucking panic attack. I was like, I let him know about the show, right? But I went through my phone. And I definitely we had a text exchange, you know, a couple of months ago, where it's like, "Yeah, April fifteenth, no problem, absolutely." But I don't know, maybe he's on assignment. Maybe he's with Sam Mack up in northern Queensland and no one noticed. Maybe Deeksy was I mean, on the ground. And got, he is it, a seven personality. Is there a chance that Deeksy just like in, a try to, like in an attempt at career advancement has taken himself into the cyclone? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. He's seen Sam Mack, an up-and-comer through the organisation. You must look at him a little bit jealousy. You know, I mean, I can see, you know, Deeksy, like, you know, seeing a bit of a young John Deeks in a young Sam Mack. You know, he... He sees oh, yeah, 100%. the guy he could have been, you know, and or the guy he could be again, perhaps, if he puts himself in the right situation. He's seen how dangerous it was for Sam Mack up there in the Cyclones. And Deeks, he's gone, you know what? This could be an opportunity. I'll be nearby. And if, say, Sam Mack or Koshy get blown away in the Cyclone, who's there? Deeks. Deeks. I'll go, I'll go one step further. Mm. 
I believe he's, uh, he's created some futuristic technology where he's transplanted his consciousness into Sam Mack. So Sam Mack is actually John Deeks. John Deeks' body is in a cryotube somewhere, but his consciousness is in Sam Mack. That's why Sam's getting all these amazing opportunities. It's Deeksy having a second crack at, at his young career. That wouldn't surprise me if Channel 7 had that sort of technology. Do you know what I mean? It wouldn't surprise me if right now they're working on a, a, a body that they can transplant Ray Mars' brain into <laughs> you know, for when he finally decides to leave home and away. Maybe that could have been you, Charlie. Maybe if you've held on to it, you could have been the, the guy that got Ray Mars. You could have been the new Elf Stewart. Yeah. Young 100%. Elf. 100%. Alfred Stewart. <laughs> there we go, mate. Fucking they're rebooting everything. The Adventures of Young Alfred Stewart. I mean, that'd be good, actually. That'd be a good take on Home and Away, right? Like, you know, do it as a period drama, kind of set it in the time in Summer Bay where Elf would have been young and kind well, of here's like... here's the thing, right? When, we, when, we, were, when, I, when um, we would do scenes with Ray, like the, always the joke was like, Alf Stewart seems to be the largest landowner in Summer Bay. Like he owns multiple properties, runs the caravan park, runs the bait shop, owns that big house on the hill. You know, like... But no one seems to know where the money came from. Like, did Elsa, like, have a... Is that why Elsa's gone? Like, did he push her off a cliff or something like that? Like, where has all this money come from? So you could do a gritty reboot of, like, young Alfred Stewart and explore, like... Maybe that's not even his real name. Maybe he's a guy who, you know, escaped the city or something like that. And, you know, there was another Alf Stewart there, a younger guy there, like, who was a fisherman and stuff. And he killed him and stole his identity and planted himself in Summer Bay. Oh, what's that movie? The talented Mr. Ripley, right? Yes. Like, you know, the talented Alfred Stewart. Right. <laughs> and it turns out he doesn't even speak like that, that that's his cover. Mm. Like he had this really posh kind of, you know, big city, like, you know, accent and stuff. And you see him come to Summer Bay and sort of adapt the flame and mongrels. And that's why Elf's accent and his way of expressing himself is so flamboyantly Australian because this is all part of the flamboyant cover story that the talented Mr. Yeah. Alfred Stewart has. <laughs> Who would you cast as a young Alf Stewart? I mean, you need someone rugged. How, what age is he going to be in this, do you think? Okay, so let, let's see. So the show's been on there for 30 years. Ray's in his early 70s. Mm. So you'd want to start it kind of just before that. So kind of early 30s, I think. Okay, that's good. That gives us some actors we might have actually heard of that we can like cast yeah. in this role, right? So you need someone mm. who... I mean, I imagine he was a handsome like you know, sort of guy when he was younger, don't you yeah. think? Yeah. Yeah, like he was in, um, he's in Breaker Morant. He's one of the soldiers in Breaker Morant. And he's a, he was a young sandy head, had that classic Aussie sort of Paul Hogan look, you know. Everyone was kind of blonde in Australia in the 70s. Jack Thompson, Paul Hogan. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? We had a, th a thing for blonde men for a while and now we just have the government policies that suit the people who love blonde hair. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so we need someone who's like in their early 30s. I mean, obviously, yeah, obviously candidates, when you were spitballing this in a meeting, you'd be looking at who you could get as a Hollywood celebrity come back. I mean... Yeah, like, is, okay, is so it... let's say when, when, we're not doing this for TV. This is going to be a movie. This is going to be a feature film. It's actually going to be like a, a big budget feature spin-off. So you, the, the sky's the limit. Like you can go out to big Australia. You know what? Let's not even limit to Australia. There's lots of actors who can do an accent. You can maybe get like an Andrew Garfield in to do it. Yeah, you could definitely do that. But I reckon, I mean, this is a bit close to home, but I just think it'd be like one of those things like, um, you know, it'd be sort of poetic. People would like it. It'd be romantic. I'm going to say Liam Hemsworth. Yeah, right. Right? Chris was in I the show. That. You know, yep. connection to the original source material. It's where Chris's first big break was. You know, but Liam feels a bit more like a young Elf Stewart to me. Yeah, and you could have like a little bit of sort of like an in-joke where whatever Chris Hemsworth's character was called, like... Young Alf meets the parents of that uh, his parents as kids, and it's like it's like Back to the Future. It's like, well, you two better get together because right. you're going to make a Thor. <laughs> so, all right, okay. We need look. We need to workshop it. That's probably that's the first draft. <laughs> a flame and Thor. Sorry. <laughs> Do you actually know that Alf Stewart kind of um, vernacular? His mm -hmm. you know his his kind of flaming this and flaming that, and you know stone the crows and stuff. Stone the bloody crows. Do you actually know any Australians who talk like that? I mean, you're from Hayfield. Yeah, heaps. Really? Oh, yeah, that's pretty much how everyone where I grew up talked. No, 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 in the country, right. like big on, you know, your classic Aussie vernacular, calling people. Like, I still call everyone mate. Like, you know, but back then it was like cobber, 
and digger like everybody had some sort of like you know nickname or some you know it was always like you know oh mate i'm you never you were never dry you were dry as a you know dead dingo or whatever it was <laughs> so had was it hard for you to drop that uh i mean it's pretty easy for me to fall back into it is what i would say like I mean, I've, I I've, I've, I've got a lot of mates you're not the only friend of mine who comes from the country but i got a, a lot of mates who i've gone back to their hometown with them and they change like as soon as they see their old mates from high school all of a sudden it's just like oh he's back up in their nose and they start talking like this and stuff it all changes yeah i mean once you get to the country firstly slow down how fast you talk uh don't really open your mouth when you talk to people uh shake hands from as far away from the person as you possibly can <laughs> that's a country thing like literally yeah. get only as close as you touching each other's hands will allow. Often, if you can do that thing where you lean in on one foot and they lean in on one foot, so you kind of are still, your other foot is as far away from the person as possible. <laughs> There's a bit of that going on in the country still. <laughs> a lot of weather chat. That's your big thing. If you're going to go back to the country, you better get loose, used to talking about the weather like half of the day. That's where your Sam Mac needs to be, in country towns, because all they want to talk about is the weather. <laughs> I remember our mate Vaughan, who's uh, is from the country in Victoria, he told me this story about um, uh, going back to visit. He'd been living in the city for a while and going back to visit his parents for Easter or something like that. And his dad answered the door and kind of was just like standing there awkwardly. And Vaughan's like, uh, oh, what's wrong, Dad? And he's like, your mum says I've got to give you a hug. <laughs> so he kind of leaned out, kept the hips, like, hips in place and leaned out as far as he could to hug his own son. I mean, it's one of those things where you're just like, there's a generation of Australian men that even though that like literally Vaughan came out of his penis. I mean, I know that's not how exactly it worked. I'm skipping some steps, <laughs> but like as an origin story, this kid came out of his penis. Like, let's just think about that for a second. You are Ooh. afraid. What is wrong with us as human beings when you're afraid to hug your son, who, if you go back to his origin story at some stage, shot out of your penis yeah started in your balls i believe i'm no yeah. scientist but i believe they start in the ball region yeah you're glad that he isn't visiting his original home your nutsack <laughs> <laughs> it's his birthday he just likes the nine months before every birthday he just likes to gently rest his head on your testicles that's all he asks <laughs> it's called go back to where Dad, you came from mate I just want to have a splash around on your nuts. Just like, I'm feeling nostalgic. <laughs> just want to swim around on your balls, if that's all right. That's all right, mate. That's where I'm from. I just want to reconnect with my roots, you know? <laughs> well, I, re I connected with your mother's roots that night. Oh, Dad, don't make this weird. You're back in your North Face jacket. I'm, I'm guessing Melbourne hasn't got any warmer. No, Melbourne is like, a, I mean, it, it gets warmish during the day, but as it comes to night here now, it gets cool pretty quickly. But also, I'm up high and it gets a bit cooler up here, I think, um, uh, than it does down on the ground. I don't know how weather works because I think hot air rises, but I don't know. Anyway, it's cold enough that get I have Sam a jacket Mac. on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Got to get to the country town or to Sam Mac. Uh, no, nah, it's all been going well, but I feel like i am got a little tickle in my throat. I d did my first ever show with an Auslan interpreter last night, like a sign language person on stage, which was kind of amazing, actually. You would have had fun with that, I imagine. Swearing. Yeah. It was one of those things where I just walked out because she was also a lovely woman. I would say in her mid forties, uh, but I don't want to, you know, like mischaracterize that. But you know, and like a really lovely woman. She'd come and seen the show. She she knew what, uh, you know, she was in for. But and I just was like, oh well, I'll just mostly do the show and then just occasionally, you know, if I need to, I'll interact. And I've walked out on stage and I introduced her and I couldn't help myself. Literally, the first thing I said is like, and occasionally I'll probably just make her say things like cocksucker to see what she does. <laughs> and then this poor woman, like the first thing she has to do is, and amazingly, Charlie, you might not be able to guess what the Auslan sign language interpretation for cocksucker is, but it's much like the one that you might guess it is. It's pretty much Kinda somebody like doing. Does, does it look like you're brushing your teeth but with more of an open grip yeah it looks like you're brushing your teeth but your toothbrush is an electric one so it's quite thick and also you're doing it a bit more from the front rather than from the side <laughs> it's like you're trying to brush the back of your throat for some reason yeah i mean admittedly they don't do the one that sometimes you do where you put your tongue in your cheek so it looks like it's going in she didn't go to that extra level of detail but there was a but, dude at my at my at my gym who uh, i assume is deaf um because i was he was i watched him talking to this guy and 
he was explaining to the guy, like he wasn't using words, but he would write on his phone, show the guy, and then the guy would talk okay. and he would respond on the pad. And so what I realized he was doing is he was reading this guy's lips. lips. And it was interesting because the guy he was talking to was an Aussie. I mean, I don't know where this guy was from, but I assume, you know, he, he was American. But like the degree, because I was what they were working out right next to me and the accuracy with which they're having this conversation, like this dude didn't miss a trick. And all those, I mean, not only... There's, there's the Aussie mouth moved differently, I imagine, to an American mouth. But all the vernacular that this guy was using and stuff, it was amazing. Like, what if that, that is almost like a, you know, if you're going to get a skill out of, out of something like that, I mean, you could go into the CIA, right? Right. No, no, no. It's a good opportunity to be, you know, to make your, you know, what has been hard for you, make it your skill. Like, I mean, just to be hired in Hollywood, I mean, it'd be good for meetings, you know, kind of corporate espionage. Like there'd be so many, or you, people could just hire you to, you know, spy on what somebody was saying at a table. You know, just people who love gossip, be good for newspapers and magazines. He could have his own Perez Hilton style, you know, like site really. Okay, we're going to try an experiment here. I'm going to yeah. turn my volume down to zero. I want you to say a short sentence. I'll put my speakers back up and I'll try and tell you what I think you said. Ready? All right. Okay. Charlie. Charlie is stiff. Well, that wasn't too bad. That's not too bad. You got Charlie. <laughs> what was the last part? Eats dicks. So not bad. <laughs> Sorry, I still yeah. had the sign language in my head. It was. It's not your fault. I wouldn't no, not okay. normally have gone that crude. <laughs> um, uh, you do one because this will make it extra hard because all this podcast on the Skype, you haven't actually been in sync with your voice anyway. So I've just been kind oh, of really? going, oh, well, it's sounding fine and not dealing with it. So this will be like me doing a max headroom challenge because your face doesn't even look like what you're saying anyway. But I'm going to get you to say a sentence and I'm going to see if I can okay. guess. I'll turn down my volume. Hang on. Will Anderson. Uh, I have no idea what you said. <laughs> uh, was there a will? I said you're, I said you're a cockhead. Ah, okay. Yeah. No, it I didn't said, look like I that. Said will Anderson, I said Will Anderson is my best friend. <laughs> oh, boo. <laughs> ah, man. Hey, uh, speaking of um, Australian movie stars, I did actually click a little article I wanted to read here because it's somebody we have some interest in. Um, you may have seen oh, yeah. this week that uh, Shia LaBeouf, Shia LaBeouf, however I say mm. his name, uh, his movie Man Down, and it was one of these stories that everybody loved because it opened in the UK and it only sold it only sold one ticket, right? So the entire box office was $11.50 for this movie on the first day, right? Now, here's the thing. It was only in one cinema, it turned out, but it still only sold one ticket on its first day. Now, uh, there's been a review in the paper uh, by a guy called Rob Moran, um, I'll, I'll just mm -hmm. read, read some of it for you. It's the kind of headline made to go viral. A gleeful dig at Hollywood pretensions and movie star failings. Shia LaBeouf's new movie sells just one ticket at the UK box office, earns $11.50. Obviously, it's a wonderful image. Someone reclining in some empty mall cinema in Burnley, <laughs> a king or queen in a puddle of popcorn, legs cradled across the row in front, eagerly anticipating LaBeouf's latest performance or confusingly wondering where Emma Watson and those talking candlesticks are. All right, Matt, let's not go crazy. Uh, the film, as the details go, was, real, was released in just one theatre in the UK, largely ushered to DVD and streaming sites amid horrible reviews in the US. But is it really that bad? Well, for a solid hour, you might think everyone's got it horribly wrong. Until the last 20 minutes, uh, when it jumps the shark from intimate drama to trash movie nuttiness. The film follows Gabriel Drama LaBeouf, a small-town uh, Texan soldier and loving husband to Natalie, Kate Mara. I like her. She's cool. Uh, dad to Johnny and bro to hard-ass Devon. Now, we'll return to Devon. Uh, as he prepares to a tour, uh, for a tour of duty in war-torn Afghanistan. Uh, for a while, it's a family drama masquerading as a war film, scenes lingering on the day-to-day -day stress felt by military families. The film intimately charts the quartet's relationships, uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, there's focus on the constraints of masculinity too, the way drummer's tenderness on display in early scenes with Johnny 
uh, is drilled out of him by his Marines training, echoing LaBeouf's earlier, more successful collaborations, uh, a guide to recognising your saints. I don't know why everyone hates this, you might think to yourself, for about 70 minutes, until the odd kicker hits 20 minutes from the end. After a horror attack on duty and an uncomfortable discovery at home involving his wife, Drummer's personal struggle becomes a flashy descent into madness uh, and turns what might have been a subtle treatment of military PTSD into an embarrassing B-movie that even M. Night Shyamalan would be ashamed of the twist. So, now, everybody's blaming the movie and everybody's blaming Shire, but I've got a different theory on this because it goes to something we've talked about before on this podcast. Because the other actor, who I did not name, and again, I mean this with no disrespect, but I believe he's a curse. He's never been in a good movie. He's not bad himself, but he's a curse. Because the other actor is, of course, Australian actor Jai Courtney. Never been in a good film. Don't put him in your films. It's not his fault. He's a good actor. Well, he's an okay actor. He's not a terrible actor, but he is only in terrible movies. Don't put him in your movie. I have an alternate theory. Okay. Shia LaBeouf, for the last however many years, has been setting himself up as this performance artist, right? Right. Like, you know, he does that exhibition where you can go and you can slap him in the face or whatever. Yeah. So he's, he was, went through the system as like Hollywood it boy, and it feels like he's been trying to undo that image ever since. Now, we, I think we've discussed in this show before, but there was a theory back in the baby shambles days. Remember when Pete Doherty was in the paper all the time because he was, you know, high, stumbling out of yeah. a club or he got caught shooting up in an alley or something. It's one of, my favorite, and, one of my favorite stories of all time, this one. I love it. Yeah. So there was this people for a long time were like, who is this Pete Doherty and how come like he keeps sort of like being in the papers and stuff? Like no one ever really knows his band that well. So then this theory came out that the KLF, KLF are going to rock you who had disappeared off the music scene for a while, but were kind of, you know, like edgy alternative artists themselves. There was a theory going around that Pete Doherty was a KLF experiment. Right. They had decided to create the anti-celebrity. How repulsive and disgusting and talent-free could someone be and still be adored by the masses? So I would not be surprised. Look, there's two things. Either it's a legit, like, you know, this is his performance artist piece, or... I reckon he can come out and claim it. In the same way that, like, you know, Jacques, uh, Joaquin and, and uh, Casey Affleck could come out and claim that film, you know, the one where Joaquin was acting like a psycho for a year and a half. I'm not all there or whatever. Yeah, that's I'm not all there. That's it. <laughs> I'm already there. I was there. Could be there. I don't know. Yeah. I won't be there. Anyway, this is... Okay, <laughs> I, look, I've Googled the KLF thing. I know we've talked about it previously, uh, but it has um, got me a list here um, off uh, Time Out London. Uh, and it's, believe it or not, London's top 10 music myths. So, Okay, uh, let's do it. Will, so let's do, so at number seven was the one that we've started with, the KLF invented Pete Doherty. Uh, Acid House pranked as the KLF might have burnt a million quid and fired a machine gun filled with blanks at the Brit Awards audience. <laughs> so already, that's great. They, built a, they burnt a million pounds and fired machine guns at the Brits. That's, I mean, that's some good fun. I mean, KLF. Like it's, it's funny. It, that, that's not that long ago, really. Like twenty years is that. Not, you could take a gun filled with blanks to an award show twenty years ago, and everyone's like, "All right, that, that passes." I know it's crazy, and and the idea that like you know twenty years ago the KLF thought they were going to do well enough that they could burn a million pounds. <laughs> 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 I bet there's some. I bet there's in 15 years, one of the members of the KLF will turn to the other member of the KLF and go, "Hey, um, I've had to go on the pension. Do you remember when we burnt a million dollars?" Okay, so I believe that, the I believe the burning of the million dollars was a statement because there was an art prize in yeah. London at the time, which was there was a million dollar prize for new artists, and so again, it was them being anti. It's like we are going to do the opposite. You know, create because oh, no. like, I think they had a competition. Create some artwork, and we'll burn a million dollars. Yeah, no, mate, I I got it, <laughs> but I just think, <laughs> just it, I mean, the KLF did fine, I'm sure, but I bet there's a time later in their life they'll be like, that was a cool statement, but we could have made it with like half a million dollars, probably. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, all right, 
they did really take a gangly Buddy Holly impersonator called Trevor McDermott and turn him into the one of the biggest figures in Naughty's indie. No, they didn't. But that doesn't mean that we can't admire the audacity of the 2006 press release that claims they did. If nothing else, the idea of the hoax uh, is much more enjoyable. Okay, all right. So that's that's a number seven. But let's seven. go. Let's go down the list of the ten. Can I? Can I just? Can I? Can I make a prediction? Please. And again, we've talked about this on the show before, so I'm assuming it will come up again. Is the Paul McCartney impersonator in there? Can you see? Let me have a look. Uh, there is a Beatles one. It is not Paul McCartney. No. Okay. Um, all right. Go back to ten. Here we go. Number one, Sid Vicious's ashes were scattered at Heathrow Airport. Um, here we go. Uh, the jury's still out, but this one could well be true. The mother of the Sex Pistols Ooh. bassist claims she scattered his ashes over the Philadelphia grave of his girlfriend, Nancy Spungen, which would have been quite romantic if he wasn't the prime suspect in her murder. Uh, but several witnesses <laughs> claim... She brought his ashes back from the US to the UK only to slip and unintentionally drop them while getting <laughs> off the plane. <laughs> it's like a no, it's like a scene on like a, a new airplane sequel. That's what they'd be. Somebody yeah, that's ashes right. the whole flight and then Flying stumbles high. off the <laughs> Yeah, Frank Drebin. All right, here's one, Charlie. Uh, you might have heard of this. Yeah, do you know who Mama Cass is? You know from the Mamas and choked the Choked on a sandwich. Okay, okay, so Mama Cass choked on a sandwich. Like Stevie Nicks's bottom and that straw, a half-eaten ham sandwich has haunted the memories of the Mamas and Papas singer ever since her death in a Mayfair Hang flat. Hang on, sorry. Like, like who in the straw? Oh, do you not know Stevie that Stevie Nicks. Stevie Nicks what's and the straw. One? Well, no, what's that story? So apparently at one stage, Stevie Nicks was doing so much coke that her kind of nose wouldn't take any coke anymore. So she had an assistant who used to blow cocaine into her anus using a straw. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, and somehow an got that's out an that's a, and everybody but, knows about it. <laughs> that is, I mean, how does that conversation go? Like... Really, like I'm assuming it's an assistant or someone or a PA. Right. Like it's someone who's not on enough money to be blowing coke up someone's anus. Right. So, yeah. Um, well, I imagine it's like it wouldn't be an internship, and you get a straw. You probably get a. Here we go. All right, exclusive. Here we go. I'm gonna. Sorry, I'm gonna find out about Stevie Nicks now. Um, Stevie yeah, Nicks yeah, was. Uh, Stevie Nicks was 27 when she became uh, Queen Bee of the British-American rock band Fleetwood Mac. Uh, blah, blah, blah. She hadn't indulged in drugs before she uh, joined Fleetwood Mac. Uh, she mm -hmm. descended into drug hell and became addicted to cocaine, alcohol, quaaludes to sleep, <laughs> and cigarettes until her system broke down and she started having nosebleeds, falls on stage, blackouts, and near overdoses. Now, some people in that situation, Charlie, would have gone, I should get off the drugs. But Stevie doesn't think like that. You know, she sees no. a problem and she sees solutions and they involve straws and assistance. She bought $1 million worth of cocaine. <laughs> Probably not at once, I imagine. And like, All right. <laughs> I was going to say, she's going to need a big bloody straw. They're just going to back up a cement mixer. Hey, Stevie, I think we're going to need a bigger straw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, she uh, so And burned a hole in her nose the size of a dime. Uh, so... Yeah, by an assistant. Drugs blown up her derriere by an assistant. So an ass assistant, I imagine. <laughs> Clever. Like it. She just put a little uh, colon or a little line in the middle uh, in the, the job application. And they go, well, I'm here for your assistant job. Oh, and you're like, oh, like sorry, you must have misread. It's actually an ass assistant. Uh, and what you will have to <laughs> yeah, do is that's blow not, drugs that's not just up a... my ass. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's not just yeah. a colon. That's a colon for my colon. Yeah, that's literally a colon. And what it's meant to say is, you will have to blow drugs up my colon. It's all there in the job application. You agreed to this. <laughs> um, all right. So, Mama Cass, did she uh, choke on a ham sandwich? Largely because Cass was a bigger lady. Early, early speculation by investigating officers about a sandwich found near her body quickly became the accepted truth. In fact, the 32-year-old died of a heart attack. 
uh, probably caused by crash dieting, so the opposite, and no food was found in her windpipe at all. So there you go. Myth busted. Mama Cass, do not choke on a sandwich. You know what we should do? We should do our own version of Myth Busters where we, where we bust all these rock star myths where like we try and put cocaine up our asses. We see if we can like choke on a sandwich. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, do the fir- I'll do the first episode. You do the sandwich one. Okay. Uh, I'm fine with that. Um, all right. Uh, oh, hang on. All right. Um, I, I've never heard of this one. Bob Holness, Sax God. What B refers to both the male gonads and an outrageous untruth? No doubt the late box was a presenter. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, no, okay, let's, I'm just going to leave that one because I don't think we know anything about it. Um, okay. Aphex Twin lived on a roundabout. Okay, this is good. Um, if, if his music videos are anything to go by, electronic pioneer Richard David James is a long way off center on the sanity spectrum. If you've never seen an Aphex Twin music video, like they normally come on rage at about three o'clock in the morning when you've come home from yeah. a big night out and they will freak the yeah. fuck out of you. I went yeah. and saw him in concert yeah. once and it was one of the most confronting experiences I've ever had in my life. <laughs> <laughs> so when the rumors circulated that he was living inside the weird cubic silver structure on the Elephant in Castle roundabout, most people <laughs> probably just shrugged and thought, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> In fact, the metal box is a monument to scientist Michael Faraday and James was living this nearby in a disused bank. So, I mean, it's still pretty weird. <laughs> yeah, that's still pretty weird. Right. But it's kind of like, I mean, it's, it, we're sort of now in an era now where there's like a president where you could hear that he's like moved the fucking White House to the middle of a roundabout, you know, right. he's in some Faraday cage. And you'd be like, yep, yeah, okay, sure. That doesn't surprise yeah. me. <laughs> Yeah, like, I mean, Donald Trump might be an invention by the KLF. <laughs> it's got the KLF's hands all over it, as far as I can tell. Well, Steve Bannon looks like he's had a lot of coke blown up his ass. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, in fifth place, this one's a pretty uh, common one. In fifth place, uh, the Beatles got blazed at the palace. So, you know, have always heard the rumour of the... Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. So it's nice to imagine a red-eyed Fab Four giggling their way up to the Queen and asking if she had any snacks. But alas, the legend of John, Paul, George and Ringo smoking a joint in the Buckingham Palace toilets before collecting their MBEs is probably false. John Lennon initially made the claim, but it was later refuted by both Paul McCartney and George Harrison, who said the band smoked a cigarette before meeting her Madge, but saved the weed for later. Oh, well, that's boring. Yeah, that's disappointing. That is misbusted, but sadly. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, uh, all right. I think uh, the, the sixth one is not really for us. It's, it's a bit too British. Uh, here we go. Um, in eighth place, Mark Armand Jizzguzzler. Is that, it sounds like the name of a Tofop episode. <laughs> it really does, doesn't it? It might be the name of this episode. Mark Armand, colon, Jizzguzzler. Doesn't mean he guzzled it out of colons. <laughs> Hang on. So what's the, who's Mark Armand, first of all? Okay, here we go. Um, let's find out because I don't really know either. He seems like some pop star, I would say, but I'm going to google him now mark armand um can i i'll just i'll just i've got a feeling just from the name of this one i feel like there was a similar you know because these urban myths you adapt for whatever generation i believe i'm going to venture a guess something about pumping a stomach and finding like liters of semen in there because when I was at primary school, we used to say that about Luke Goss, the lead singer yeah, of Bros, that he got rushed yeah. to hospital. Yeah. Oh, so you yeah. heard the same rumor? Yeah. Or oh, maybe it's up- true then. <laughs> it was an updated version of the same story, I reckon. I reckon this story's okay, been right. going around for years. There's probably somebody going now, like, you know, Louis from One Direction had to have his like stomach pump because it was full of jizz. Uh, here we go. Uh, Mark Armand was the lead sing- uh, the singer from Soft Cell. You remember Soft Cell, Tainted Love? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so. Yeah. Um, here we go. Uh, Mark Armand Jizz Guzzler. <laughs> I love it. It's like, it just sounds like the title of a really good reality show. Like one of those adventure, <laughs> like he goes from town to town. He's like um, Anthony Bourdain, but he goes around guzzling jizz in different places around the world and go, well, you know, the olive oil that the Italians eat really makes the jizz guzzle much sweeter. 
Yeah. Did you like Abraham Lincoln Vampire Killer? Because we've got another script for you. <laughs> Mark Armand, Jizz Guzzler. Or Luke Goss, Jizz Guzzler. Uh, <laughs> like Bowie, Jagger, Britney, Elton, Alanis, and numerous others, poor old Mark Armand fell victim to a scurrilous rumour about a stomach pump and a pint of nutritious man sap. What a Hang lovely... On. How did... How did... Like, a few names you threw out there. How did Alanis Morissette get swept up in all that? I mean, I guess... that would like, be ironic. Well, I, I guess it was because she, you know, went down on that guy in the theatre. Oh, uh, yeah, of course. You know, she she oh, explicitly stated it. Yeah, That's classic jizz-guzzling behaviour. <laughs> <laughs> Alanis Morissette, colon, jizz-guzzler. It'd be great if her next album was called Jizz Guzzler. <laughs> Guzzler um, Little Pill. All right, here we go. Um, uh, yeah, so it turns out it wasn't true. It wasn't true for any of them. No one has ever, well, no one like famous who's had that story told about them has ever had their stomach pumped. So even now, here's the good news. If at any stage you are like a pop singer and you do have a thing where you have to have your stomach pumped because it's got too much jizz in it, your cover story is already in. Like, it, people wouldn't yeah, believe it right. anyway. They'd be like, oh, yeah, I heard that about Mark Armand, Bowie, Jagger, Luke Goss, and, and Alanis Morissette. It is clearly not true. <laughs> um, in ninth spot, David Bowie and Mick Jagger were lovers. Um, did they get it on or were they just sharing a bed after a heavy night? Bowie's ex-wife claims she came home to the London pad in the mid-70s and caught the two rock gods under the covers and others have suggested they were involved in a long love affair. Um, they, oh, they, they're saying jury's still out on this one. Could be true. Could be true, but well, they don't have... all you need to do is watch the music video for Dancing in the Streets to see two men desperately in love. To see two men who are also clearly dancing in the sheets. <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't be surprised. Like that one's, I mean, you'd think those guys at the time in which they were famous and the, you know, the, what they would have had access to. Like, I, of course, at some stage they're going to do that, right? Like when you've had sex with everyone else in the world and your best friend's lying next to you, of course you're going to give it a crack, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, why not? It was, you know, you're crazy. You're kings of the world, you know? You're two of the most sexy people on the planet in a time where people were liberated and experimenting with their sexuality. Of course you would. I hope people are still doing that. I think they are. <laughs> oh, I mean, I having sex. But I hope, no, I just like to see like the two, whoever the two most popular, like I hope Justin Bieber and Ed Sheeran are fucked. <laughs> Did you say you hope they're fucked <laughs> or you hope they have fucked? I reckon that'd be great. Fucked. Wouldn't it be great? I mean, Ed Sheeran yeah. wrote, like, I think both of the songs that went to number one for Justin Bieber, plus, um, mm -hmm. you know, has had a whole bunch of number ones himself. Imagine they're just partying one night and they're like, you know, I guess yeah. we're, the, we're the Bowie and Jagger of our generation. Um, how about I, we... I remember when I was uh, in high school when Silverchair sort of first hit the scene, you know, they released Tomorrow and stuff and there were those 15-year-old kids from Newcastle who were playing all these festivals and stuff. And there was a street magazine in Melbourne I used to get um, you know, that was very kind of took itself very seriously. You know, they're very about the music. And there was always in the letter section, there was always this debate raging over, you know, are Silverchair any good or, you know, all this kind of stuff. And then for about three weeks, there was this letter exchange or this kind of debate happening. Because this is, kids, there was a time before the internet. <laughs> Back then, if you wanted to express your views, your outrageous views online, you actually had to write to a publication and hope they printed it. Um, but there was this discussion going around about whether or not Daniel Johns was a virgin because he would have only been like 15 or 16 at the time. And this girl wrote in to the street mag and she said, um, he's not a virgin because I slept with him after blah, 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 whatever festival it was. And then the torrent of kind of like, it went too, like it was gripping. Like I couldn't wait to get each week's new issue where like you'd have people jumping on board, like defenders if he's saying, no, you know, Daniel wouldn't do that. And, you know, Daniel said that, you know, he's a virgin and it's all about the music and he wouldn't just sleep around. And then other people saying, like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, you give a 16-year-old, like, like, an audience and then after the show he can go hang out with all these, like, chicks and stuff. Like, there's no way that guy is staying a virgin. And then one guy chimed in with a letter that is still stuck with me was like, um, there's no way this girl could have taken his virginity because Silverchair already fucked. 
<laughs> just one guy who's been waiting for the internet to come along all this time so he can get yeah. out his sweet slams. There's a, a famous, Signed, M, M. Latham. Um, I'm, I'm going to Google something, but I'm just going to... Can we just pause for a second while I uh, sure. have a bathroom break? If that's all right. What? What do you mean? Like it's online? How do you know? Or is it someone speculating? Oh God, do I want to no. know? Oh, this is, is this one of those websites that I never want to go to because I get scared? No, uh, is that where it's like people getting hit by trains and shit, right? Oh my God, I'm watching it. Oh. Oh no. Oh my God. All right. Well, okay. Well, we've got something we can come back with. <laughs> oh, dear. And we're back. Okay. We took a little break, but uh, I'm pretty disturbed. Mike Hal just shared a link with me, which uh, is uh, from a website called LiveLeak, which uh, shows how one uh, has cocaine administered to their owners. Oh, there's an instructional video? Of course there is. It's the internet. <laughs> Not instructional. It's uh, it's at a, it's at a music festival somewhere, but uh, yeah, that's uh, that's something I'll never be able to unsee. <laughs> All right, so uh, should we? Uh, oh, we oh, were not back. That was me being back. I, I didn't <laughs> know okay. if we were back or not back. Uh, it can okay. stay in. You can pick um, it up. I've, I found something else as well. You might have seen this. Um, it's a meme. It goes around the internet every now and again, and it's a hockey player at a hockey game. Have you seen this one? And it's two girls. No. So I'll describe it to you. Um, okay. Basically, so you can imagine your ice hockey player, um, you know, skating around, you know, where the glass is and everyone can kind of tap on the glass. And he's obviously just done something and he's skating by. And there's two girls there and they've like got a sign, a professionally printed out sign. And it says, Tyler, number 19. You know, so a traditional sort of thing that you go if you like to play her. And then it says mm. underneath, we sucked your dick in high school. Do you remember us? <laughs> And they both could not be happier. They're both waving at him like, hi, it's us. And the look on his face, I mean, it's brilliant. I'm going to have to send you this uh, photo just so you can see it. But it's um, it's some absolute quality. I, uh, what, what? what? <laughs> okay. All right. I'm clicking on the link. I believe this is real. And, <laughs> yep. Yeah. Okay, that is uh, that looks like a legitimate photo. Wow, that's amazing. They do look happy about it, don't they? He's laughing though. Yeah, that, yeah, he's loving it. He's like there is at high school and maybe later tonight. No, you know tonight. what? That mate, I, that has to be Photoshop. Do you reckon it's photoshopped? Of let's course see if, it is. Let's see if we can. Is this our first episode of MythBusters, Charlie? Should we? Yeah, let's do um, it. Did, did Tyler actually get his dick sucked by two girls in high school? <laughs> you know, if you ask Tyler, he would, he would say, yeah, yeah, they're, they're all from Canada. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't know them. Yeah, definitely. In fact, uh, Tyler made those. Yeah, Tyler made those. He goes, it was when I was playing hockey in Canada. Um, <laughs> all right, here we go. Um, uh, uh, maybe. Ah, uh, boo. Okay. All right. So it turns <laughs> You can't out, believe anything. It's fake news, Will. Fake news. Man, fake news. Alternative facts. All right, here we go. All right, so you know what I was thinking, right? Like, if you, with all this, like, amazing Photoshop and, you know, photorealistic CGI and stuff, if you kidnapped someone in a time machine from, like... No, you didn't kidnap them. You took a portable... You took your iPad, you loaded up, I don't know, Transformers or some, like, you know, CGI vest and went back to 1920s wherever and showed them... You said, I'm from the future. This is what's going to happen. Do you think that they would accept that what they were looking at was real or do you think there is something in humans that uncanny valley thing where they would be able to differentiate even though they've never seen anything like that do you think that they could look at that cgi and go look no i, I don't buy it i believe that you're from the future i believe you're being messaged but i think that is fake that is fake news <laughs> do you think that oh you know there's that theory about the berenstein bears and stuff that you know is kind of posited that we're now living in an alternative reality 
Yeah. What's it called? There's a name for it. It's like um, uh, the something syndrome. It's called like the look it up, Mike Al. It's where people misremember events. Like group, it's like a group delusion of historical events. Okay, I've looked up Berenstein Bears alternate reality, and let's just see. Uh, here we go. All right. Um, oh, the AV Club's done something on it. I like the AV Club, so let's have a look at that. Um, how you spell the Berenstein Bears could be proof of a parallel universe. There we go. Um, uh, it was this innocent comment left on a post about parallel universes that first pulled Rob Schwartz of Stranger Dimensions into one of the internet's strangest theories. It involves the Berenstein Bears, um, a loving family of anthropomorphized bears who taught children life lessons via hundreds of picture books and two TV shows. But the problem is they aren't the Berenstein Bears, they're the Berenstein Bears. Though a startling number of people remember the name as Berenstein or Steen, it's in fact spelt Berenstein, just like the authors Stan and Jan Berenstein. But is it possible so many people are wrong about the title? Back in 2012, blogger Reese offered up another explanation. Some of us have recently crossed over from a parallel universe. He argues that, that sometimes. At some time in the last 10 years or so, reality has been tampered with and history has been retroactively changed. The bears really were. Yeah, there's really a name were. for it. Um, yeah, so, uh, all right. Um, it's, it's, it's something, it's got a name because I, I listened to a podcast where they were talking about this exact thing because it's... Um, confabulation. No, no? No, that's not it. There's actually a name for it. It might be because of the person who, who, who put the theory out there, but there's a similar one. There's a... Everyone remembers uh, like a Shaq film called Shazam or Kazam or something like that, but this yeah. film doesn't actually exist. Hang on, what? Shazam? Or Kazam or something. There's a genie film. A genie like film a, by Shaq. Yeah, that, that's real, right? I don't know. I think there's something about that that doesn't exist. Shaq film that isn't real. I'm going to type that into the internet. This is a great I mean, episode this of is, SoFop. We've gone deep Kazam. on this today. Kazam. Yeah, yeah, but right? I think people remembered it as Shazam. Oh, there's something about this as well. I, I, maybe I'm in an alternate reality because I'm thinking of something that maybe I can't remember. Shazam misremembered? Maybe that's it. Sinbad's Shazam. Okay, here we go. The movie that doesn't it. exist. There you go. Have you found this headline? Remember Shazam? Oh. The Sinbad. Oh, the Sinbad, not Shaq. That's where I get confused. Right. You remember yeah. Shazam? The Sinbad movie that doesn't exist? You're not alone. Parallel universes have long been a staple of science fiction and a bizarre phenomenon involving a large group of people remembering a movie that doesn't actually exist, at least in this universe, has led some authors to think that we're in an alternate dimension. Hundreds of people claim to remember a 90s classic movie starring comedian Sinbad as a wish-granting genie. Problem is, the movie, remembered as Shazam, never existed. This oh phenomenon God. is not new. Sinbad went on Twitter with the idea that the movie existed in 2009 and has used all social media to correct people ever since. A false memory, you could call it, is an extreme example of a general phenomenon of memory distortion. Hmm. Yeah, there's, I thought there was a name for it, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, so what does exist is... Mandela Effect. That's what it's called. What is it called? It appears, in this, it, it's, it appears to be another instance of the Mandela Effect, an informal term for a collective false memory. The term was coined by a woman who discovered that she and hundreds of other people believed and remembered that Nelson Mandela died in prison in the 80s. Mandela actually died in 2013. It's called the Mandela Effect. Right. Oh, wow. And it turns out that so, there was a movie called Kazam starring Shaquille O'Neal, which is what you said, uh, as a genie yeah. who helps a young boy find his father. Oh my god! Do you think where do they still put athletes? I mean, I don't watch a lot. Of, like, do they still put like athletes in American movies, like in lead roles? Who's like the biggest? Is uh, what's his face? The what's his name? You know, fucking hell! I'm going to be hung for this. Cleveland basketball guy, probably the greatest LeBron modern James. basketballer. LeBron James. Yeah, Does he LeBron do was or anything. He was really good in Amy Schumer's movie. Oh, that's right. He was really funny. But he doesn't funny. headline films. Like in the 90s, when Michael Jordan, you know, was this huge star, it felt like they would try and get basketball in everything. Like, you know, if you could have an action film that somehow, you know, the, the third act could be solved with a basketball game or something, they would do it. Like, it was insane how they tried. He was such a, like, a, a megawatt star. They tried to cram him into every medium. Yeah, you know what I think has done really bad for celebrity sports people being in movies? 
OJ Simpson. OJ Simpson. Yeah, I reckon OJ. <laughs> you might be experiencing what scientists know as the OJ effect, Charlie. Man, I just watched, I just binged the uh, People versus OJ Simpson. Have you seen it's that? It's good, huh? I loved it. I really enjoyed it. I watched that. There was an, all, that awesome docker. I think it won the Oscar, which is um, yeah, Made in America, ESPN. which is like a five-part. That is incredible. Like, if you it's don't give a shit best. about sports or even OJ Simpson, that is one of the most thorough, absorbing, thoroughly depressing <laughs> documentaries you'll ever see. And so having no, seen I, that, I was like, I, I agree with you. I don't think I'm... I, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to dig the uh, dramatization, but fuck, it was good. It was so good. I, I, like, I actually had to get back. I, I crammed it. I, would, I watched like three or four and then would like, oh, I'm going to watch another three or four, get through it. Yeah, that's interesting. I watched it in the opposite order. So I watched the, the dramatization before I watched the documentary. And um, I love the dramatization, but that documentary, like, I mean, because I just didn't really get all his sporting achievements and stuff and the way that they were able Same. to kind of show you you know, where he'd come from as an athlete and, you know, the way that he hadn't wanted to be involved politically and, you know, kind of the success of where he'd been and what that story was beforehand. I just didn't really know that. And they told that story so well as, you know, in, in conjunction with the rest of it. I was actually thinking that's probably the better way to do it. Now I've seen The People versus OJ. I want to go back and watch the documentary again yeah. because, I mean, there's so much stuff happened in that case which you would not believe, like... It just seems so outlandish. And then you watch that documentary and it's like, oh my God. But it's just the, um, it's one of those things where sometimes you wonder like, can you make a film about something where everyone knows how it ends, like Titanic or whatever? Like, right. But that, they, they played it to perfect effect where you, you knowing how it was going to end actually made every scene so much more tense and anxious and the stakes are so much higher because you knew he was going to walk. And I was really interested... Because, you know, the documentary does a fantastic job of I showing... mean, Mike Howe, you might have to put in a spoiler uh, announcement that people know that OJ gets away with it. <laughs> <laughs> Just so in case anybody's really been hanging out for the doco and the dramatisation to find out the end result of the OJ Simpson case. Turns out he did it and got away with it. Sorry, guys. <laughs> they do this great job in the documentary of showing what happened to OJ post like post acquittal, like how his sort of life fell apart and all this kind of stuff. Yep. And I was thinking, watching as I was getting towards the last episode, I'm like, well, what are they going to do? Like, you know, they're obviously not going to go into the post acquittal period. Like, how are they going to sum up just like how fucking terrible the situation is? And they did it. Like that scene where he's at the party that he's thrown, you know, the day he gets out of jail, it's like fucking smart. That's really good. You've just done it without any dialogue. You've really, this guy is now fucking like completely isolated. You know, he's dug his own grave, so to speak. Yeah, it was awesome. It was such a good, such a good telly movie. Yeah, that's the terrible thing about OJ is that like he's provided two of the best pieces of television over the last year. It's funny too. Like I actually went into a bit of a rabbit hole about like all the conspiracy theories that were flying around at the time. And oh, yeah. it's, it's amazing, isn't it? Like with the, with the benefit of kind of hindsight, because we all get swept up in sort of media events and stuff like that. Like we definitely, if celebrity was big in the nineties, like it's fucking a hundred times worse now. And then we've talked before on this show about just getting so kind of, there's so much noise out there and there's so much to absorb and, you know, being able to find your way through all that to find out what the truth actually is, is really, really hard. But I can even back then, I mean, I remember like I stayed up to watch that and I'm a kid in Australia who didn't, all I knew OJ from was the Naked Gun movies. All I know right. was, this, was this spectacle. Like it was like you, you picked a side and you wanted to see how it turned out. And then it's like, oh shit, like people died, <laughs> you know? And then this election we've just had, it's like, oh, let's pick a side, blue or red, yell at each other. And it's like, well, no, people are actually going to die. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was a lot of allegations around the OJ thing. I mean, at one stage, uh, there was an allegation he got an assistant to blow cocaine up his ass, but Johnny Cochran said, "If the if the uh, straw does not fit, you must acquit." If the straw is covered in shit, you must acquit. <laughs> what do you make of John Travolta? Uh, in what regard do you mean? In the show? Yeah, like he's sort of entering a new phase now, right? Isn't he? Like yeah. he's getting, because he, 
he's older now, obviously, but he's, he will only be able to do character actor parts now. Like, he's not a leading man anymore. No. I mean, look, he had, he's had plenty of goes at it, John Travolta. Like, oh, I don't he think had he'd a be whole... complaining. Yeah, I mean, he might be. But he kind of has those moments where he comes back strong and then he goes away again, you know. And I think, yeah, I think now the only other chance he has, I think also the whole Scientology thing and whatever, you know, has just kind of put people off him a little. I, you know what I was interested in is Tom Cruise is the lead in the new Mummy film. You didn't know that? No. I mean, I guess I don't keep up to date with Tom Cruise news, but also... The Rock was a lead in a mummy film. Is that really what Tom... Cr- I mean, it looks good, I think, but is that... Yeah, okay, so so here's what's going on, right? Right. Every Tom. studio is building their universes. So the guys who have, you know, uh, King Kong and, and Godzilla and stuff are making all their individual films and then they'll bring those guys together for a team-up. So Universal, who have the classic Universal monsters, The Mummy, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Invisible Man, Dracula, they're making... This is what they're doing. That's why there is an action-adventure tone to that kind of film is that they're going to do like the Mummy film and then there'll be a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde film. And I think there was a rumour for a while that um, Russell Crowe was being circled to play Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Well, hang on. Dr. Jekyll? No, yeah. Play Dr... No, hang on. Who comes first? Mr. Hyde. No, Dr. Jekyll. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Jekyll. I think the crazy play ones... Play Dr. Jekyll. I think the crazy one's not on. the doctor. I think the doctor's the sensible one. <laughs> Yeah, it's literally in his name, the guy who hides away. Um, The rumour was that he was going to be playing Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, but then I saw him in that Mummy trailer. So either he's not doing the Jekyll and Hyde film or they're already linking those universes together. So maybe like Tom Cruise's character's gone to see his mate, Dr. Jekyll. I mean, that'd be... The more you describe that, if that's actually what happens, I'm suddenly interested. Really? Like, yeah, I think so. I mean, I actually watched the trailer and went, this doesn't look bad. Like, I love, I have a soft spot for the mummy ride at Universal Studios. And so I have a fondness for those mummy movies. Even, and because also it was kind of one of the Rock's first breaks. Oh, by the way, that's the biggest sports person who's in movies, The Rock. But, um, uh, yeah, but I, I think I had that real affection for that franchise just because of the ride mostly. I really like that ride at Universal Studios. And then when I saw the trailer for that and I saw Tom Cruise and Russell Crowe, I'm like, oh, this is a whole new mummy. Mummy's new Did Mummy's we... got a new swagger. Mummy's had a facelift. <laughs> MILF. Yeah, this is MILF. Mummy's this a shouldn't MILF. be called the mummy. This should be called the MILF. <laughs> the mum I'd like to the mummy I'd like to fight. She's a MILF. <laughs> Um, did I say last, uh, last time we recorded that I went to Disneyland? No, tell me about that. Yeah, I've, ne- I've never done a theme park. Apart from, um, we went to Wet n Wild once. Yes. Um, years ago. And, but Australian theme parks, from what I understand, don't compare. So I went to Disneyland. The most and, magical place of all. Well, here's the thing, Will. My parents went there in the late 70s. And, like, you would have thought that, you know, my mum had, uh, like, come back from a distant land because the stories she brought of Disneyland, like she gathered her children around and would tell us about these rides she went on and stuff. And we would just be like, what? There's a, a haunted mansion and you, and you see ghosts and stuff. And she had bought these like slides, like from the gift shop that, you know, we would put the slides on and look at them and be like, oh my God, that's amazing. Like there's, there's pirates in that Caribbean, <laughs> that kind of stuff. So uh, for- Also, she's gone, I have eight children, uh, nine children, right? Nine children. Mm-hmm. Um, is that right? Hang on, have I got that yeah, right? Nine. Yeah, nine, nine children. Yeah. I've got nine children. Uh, I can't afford to take them to Disneyland. So we're just going to go and make up lots of good stories about it and come <laughs> home and tell you. That's as close as you're ever getting. But we would, and, that, and that was exactly what happened. Is like we would, right. they, there was two things she brought back, this box of slides and there was this uh, cassette tape which was called Ghostly Sounds which oh. was just like a collection of kind of like literally ghostly sounds. There's a vague narrative tied to oh, it. Oh, just but like, we would, Yeah, that kind of like chains rattling and stuff. Right. And so we would like turn all the lights out and put on the slides and the Haunted Mansion stuff. And that was as close as we got to Disneyland. <laughs> so that's been my life for like 35 years. Right. And then I, because I, I've, I've been pretty much working the whole time I've been here, but then I was like, I'm going to take a week off. I'm going to do some touristy stuff. 
And so uh, we had some friends who are in town who've got a little daughter. So we said, why don't we do a trip to Disneyland? So the day we chose to go, it was pissing down with rain. Like it was probably the only time, you know, I've seen rain like that in California. But I was like, you know what? This is probably not a bad thing. Thin out the crowds. We're going on a Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. No, we got there. Like not school holidays, nothing. Tuesday, heavy rain, and it was crammed. Like I could not believe it. But the problem is, like Gemma has been there before and my other friends have been there before. To me, it felt like Berlin, the theme park, (laughs) because it was just like... (laughs) Heavy rain, you're wet, you're cold, everyone's sort of running around trying to find shelter. There's nothing but long queues everywhere. Like, you know, it just, I I found the whole thing quite stressful. When I actually finally, because every ride there was like at least an hour wait. So you get these like fast tickets and then go off and do something else and then come back and get on the ride. But the, and when you're in the rides, amazing. But that was like five minutes of amazing. And then it was another like two hours of like running from the rain or, like trying to get something to eat in there that didn't make immediately give you a headache. Like everything in there is just like <laughs> loaded with sugar, like super like potent, expensive. Uh, we had this, there's a, like, they've got their, I don't know, it's like their New Orleans region where you go. And so we went and get into this restaurant and it was like sitting next to this fake river in this restaurant where they're bringing out like fake New Orleans food and it like tasted horrible and was like really expensive. And I'm like, this doesn't feel like the happiest place on earth. Like, I kind of feel like I'm in a shopping center. I mean, it was weird. All the stuff that I liked the most was all the old rides. Like, I love the Haunted Mansion. I just thought that was great. I mean, it feels like they have not changed anything from, you know, what my mum told me and what I saw on those slides. But then we did do... Have you done the Indiana Jones ride at Disneyland? I've never been to Disneyland because I'm... Oh. Yeah, I've never been. I've been to Universal like a dozen times, but I've never been to Disneyland. A, I don't really love Disney characters. Like, I don't have any particular fascination with Disney and the world of Disney. And as much as some of these things have come as a surprise to you, Charlie, all I've ever heard about Disneyland is it's really crowded, really expensive, and nowhere near as good as you would think it is. So, as a general... (laughs) As a general vibe. Plus, you know, Walt was kind of a Nazi. So there's just been enough, and it's enough of a drive away from where I live. There's just been various factors that have meant nah. And plus, also, one of my good comedian friends said, you know what we should do? We should take magic mushrooms and go to Disneyland. So tell me if that was a good or bad idea. Like, from your experience, would you say terrible idea or good idea? I don't don't know. Look, if you took magic mushrooms and somehow had the park to yourself, it would be awesome. <laughs> right. But I can't imagine being in there because ultimately you spend the entire time waiting. And even if it was sunny and stuff, because we didn't have, because it was so wet, we didn't have any of the characters running around. and Oh, walking you know, around. Yeah, like there was just because, you know. Because Mickey suddenly off, Mickey Mouse know, looks like a drowned rat. Exactly, exactly. But I, I haven't been to any other theme parks. I haven't been to Universal. Like Gemma's, like you, has been to Universal heaps of times. She loves it. But I haven't, I've got nothing to compare it to. But I was, I remember I went to, Sydney used to have a shitty theme park uh, called Wonderland. Was it Australia's Wonderland? It was out in like the western suburbs. And we went there for a friend's birthday when um, we were like in our 20s. And we all got like high and thought, this would be funny. We'll go to, you know, this theme park. But you walked in and the first thing you saw was this kind of like paunchy, overweight Wolverine with these plastic like (laughs) claws that are sort of like half bent. There's like a Spider-Man walking around in a suit that's like too baggy for him and shit. Like looking, all these ex-Nider, ex-Nider actors looking like they wanted to kill themselves. But at least they had rides, whereas like there's no roller coasters. There's, I think there's Adventureland on the other side of Disneyland. Right. The, uh-huh. Disneyland proper, the old park. It's all like themed rides. Like we went on this, oh, that's the other thing. Since Disney have taken over Star Wars, like right. it was, I mean, you thought Star Wars was saturated in the past, my God, like it was insane. Like the, the, the amount of merch for Star Wars now and the amount of people just throwing down heaps of cash, like, holy shit, man. Like the, that was worth the $6 billion or whatever they paid out. They would have made that back that, that one day I was in Disneyland. 
Oh, mate. Like, I mean, Star Wars is just so much about the merchandising. I mean, it was started pretty much about the merchandising. That's how George Lucas paid for it all in the first place. But yeah, in the hands of Disney, you've taken it from somebody who loved marketing and merchandise and then put it in the hands of the only person left in the world who loves marketing and merchandise more than he did. So yeah, it's crazy. It's weaponized. But there was this uh, Star Wars ride we went on where it was like one of those 3D rides where you get in a little carriage and then, you know, C-3PO's there and you go on this ride and stuff. I was terrified. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> like they're shaking this thing around and all I'm doing is looking at this like 3D screen with my glasses on. But I was like, I don't, I don't know, I'm liking this, Will. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been on roller coasters and stuff, but this one was like, they're dropping you through spaceships and stuff and Darth Vader comes down at one point and uses the force on you and you can't get away. I found it very stressful. <laughs> so no, don't take mushrooms. <laughs> Before you go to Disneyland. Well, take him. Just don't go on the Star Wars ride. Well, don't go with you on the Star Wars ride. I think I'd be fine with it because I know that Darth Vader (laughs) is not a real person. But apparently, even straight, you have trouble differentiating that. Hey, uh, it's after midnight ish. We want. Yeah, no, we should we should definitely finish. I've got to do a show tonight as well. So, um, hey, uh, plugs. I'm currently doing my critical will tour all over Australia. By the time you hear this on Sunday, uh, I will have done the Sydney Opera House shows the night before. So, no need to plug those. But Melbourne International Comedy Festival, then uh, Darwin, Perth, uh, Wollongong, uh, the Newcastle region. I got a bunch of other dates. So check out comedy.com.au. And most importantly, next uh, Saturday night at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, we will be doing TOFOP live at the Comedy Theatre. Guests include John Deeks, hopefully, fingers crossed, if he gets back to us. Because back to me. Otherwise, we'll have to get Sam Mack, the new John Deeks. Um, uh, Nick Cody, who is brilliant, Celia Picola, uh, Daniel Sloss, a bunch of other fantastic guests. It's going to be a really cool night. Yeah, you can get tickets from Ticketmaster or just check out our Facebook page for more details. Um, I'm going to be flying in literally the day before the show, so I'm going to be super jet-lagged. It's going to be very... Well, they're always loose shows, but I think I'll be extra, I'll be extra gullible that night. Oh, sorry. Oh. Before we go, Mike Hell yeah. has just sent us a little anendum. The process of introducing cocaine into the anus is known as boofing. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. <laughs>